what's up? It's Angela. And guess where you are? The Claim the Stage podcast. I hope that's where you meant to be. Welcome to the show. I'm your host. I am a speaker, an author, and founder of the Speaking School for Women, and I'm so excited that you're here. Today's guest is so knowledgeable on the subject of how to get out there as a speaker. I'm going to I'm going to say that this is part 1 of 2 in a two-part series about marketing. Um, and how to build credibility and visibility and get out there as a speaker. I've trained a lot of people in this field of getting out there and, and building your speaking business. And some of the questions I often hear from the women who want to be professional speakers is, how do I market myself? How do I get my name out there? How do I know which conferences I should appear at? How do I get more PR for myself? How do I tell my story effectively? And honestly, they're asking because... They know it's important. They don't like doing it most of the time, but they know it's important. So in today's episode and next week's episode, we're going to dedicate it to getting yourself out there, building your speaking biz, focusing on connecting with the right people, building your platform, and just sort of, you know, becoming more well-known in your field. So let's make sure you're in the right place because I, this is the Claim a Stage podcast, like I mentioned. <laughs> And it's a show for courageous women who want to follow their dreams by claiming their voice. So I teach you how to do that through interviews and sharing some of my own experiences. And the Claim the Stage podcast is sponsored by McNally Communications. They train you to get results by um, learning more about speaking, writing, and presenting with more impact. You can say it better and they'll show you how. And you can find them at McNallyCommunications.com. Our second sponsor is Name Net Worth, a networking consulting company that helps people improve their networking skills. They developed an app that makes networking really easy. You can get more information at namenetworth.com. So I'm going to jump into our show here, but before I do that, I want to just tell you that I have so much gratitude in my heart for having you as a listener. And I would just want to take this opportunity on Thanksgiving week to say thank you for listening Thank you for your emails and, you know, your comments and for suggesting guests who might be, you know, great, great people to have on the show. Thank you for rating and reviewing my show and sharing it and helping me to get the word out about it. Everyone who has been a part of this journey of learning how to be a podcaster this year has been just a source of support and inspiration and knowledge. And I just really, really appreciate it. So that's, that's it for that. I just wanted to say that before we jumped right into the interview, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And without further ado, my interview with Steve Markman. Steve Markman is president of Markman Speaker Management, MSM, a Needham, Massachusetts-based speaker placement firm established in 1994. MSM is used by corporate executives and professional service firms from a, a wide variety of fields of all sizes, from solo entrepreneurs to the Fortune 500. Mr. Markman writes and lectures frequently on the subject of obtaining speaking engagements for use as a business development, marketing, and public relations tool, and he has over 30 years of experience in the speaker industry. Steve also represents a group of paid keynote speakers who speak at conferences and corporate events. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show today. 
My pleasure, Angela. It's great to be here. Thank you. I have so many questions for you because when I first heard about what you do, I thought that's so interesting and unique because you're not a speaker's bureau, but you represent speakers and you're more like, I guess, a speaker's agent. So I'd love to hear more about you and how you got into this type of work and, you know, what it is exactly you do. Great. Well, thanks very much. So I come at it from a different perspective uh, than most uh, folks in in the speaker line, uh, uh, many of whom started in public relations or uh, book uh, promotions in, in other fields. So I actually am a uh, conference person, and I won't uh, go into the whole uh, life story, but I'll start at the point where I started to have conference experience, which was about 30 years ago, as you say. And so when I... Um, was doing conferences, it was on the content side. So I headed up the conference divisions for Comdex, which was the largest trade show uh, in North America. It was for the computer industry. Uh, and the, prior to that, when I came, before I came up to Boston, I headed up the conference board's conference division. So I was responsible for developing uh, hundreds of conferences a year, uh, the content, recruiting the speakers, and, and the like. And so when in 1994 I started my own business, it was ostensibly to do the same sort of work. So in other words, I contracted out for um, doing conference development with conference organizations, associations, colleges, etc. And then uh, two years into that, IBM came to me. Um, what is the forerunner of IBM Global Services was known at the time IBM Consulting and told me that they didn't have a good success rate with their PR firm, uh, which um, was doing a great job for the media, but not in getting speaking engagements, and asked me if I could do that for them. So that's how I got started in the placement side. I did a pilot program for IBM. It was successful. I placed speakers all over the world and uh, saw that there was a, a niche uh, business for, for me, and, and that's how I got into that. I, I really have IBM to, to thank for being on the representation side of the business. Interesting. Okay, so what you did for IBM was you created visibility for their leaders, and that was, that was something they viewed as a good public relations move? Is that, can you talk exactly. us, walk us exactly. through the, yeah, the reasoning for that? Yeah, so, so what I realized was that um, speaking is a very uh, important and integral part of an integrated marketing and public relations campaign. So every company, whether they're um, a solo entrepreneur, uh, a small company, or a company like IBM, uh, needs exposure. In, in the case of IBM, everybody n knows IBM, so you might say, well, why do they need exposure? Who doesn't know IBM? But the marketplace only thought of IBM as a computer hardware company uh, or a, a PC company later on. They, they didn't think of them as someone who could come in and design financial systems or someone who could come in and, and design um, HR systems that uh, were consulting. So that's what I was able to do for them, to help them along with their um, PR firm. Uh, but for me, through speaking, 
um, let the world know that they are able to do these other services and that they have capabilities beyond what is is the norm. So speaking allows for a great opportunity to, for an individual or uh, or an executive of a company to uh, demonstrate um, thought leadership, to expose their uh, their brand, and to get. Uh, business. So th- what happens is um, companies come to me because speaking is really a business development effort. So whether it's an individual who has a coaching business or a consulting business, uh, or if it's a large or medium-sized company, um, regardless of what the industry is, um, being in front of potential customers or clients is for me the end game it's not just speaking for speaking's sake um and that's on the the non-paid side and i can talk about the paid side in a few minutes but the non-paid side which is the um a good part of my business is um a retainer based business similar to a pr model and in fact one third of my clients over the 23 years now that i've been running msm uh, have been pr firms so PR firms oftentimes don't have the bandwidth, the resources, or the context that I've developed over 30 years of doing this with conference directors all over the world. And so they outsource to me the speaker placement piece. In that case, the PR firm becomes my client, and they um, let the, their client know that I'm doing this work on behalf of them. Interesting. So tell us how you're different from a speaker's bureau, because I don't just so that our, our listeners sure. know the difference. Right. So it's a good question, and, you know, it's not necessarily something that's um, defined in a hard and fast, concrete way. Uh, But from the uh, literature, and if you do Google searches, if you type in speakers bureaus, um, many, many will come up. Uh, If you type in, uh, if you Google speaking engagements, my firm will come up. So I call myself a speaker placement service rather than a speaker's bureau, although I really have both businesses. So, so let me explain. So in the, in the strict sense of the definition, as uh, the marketplace defines it, a speaker's bureau handles only paid speakers. And the business model for a speaker's bureau is a commission-based model. So Mary gets um, $5,000 to speak on topic X or 10000 or whatever it is, and she is listed on the speaker's bureau with their uh, uh, agreement. It's a mutual agreement. Um, they list Mary on their website, and they might have, in the old days, before the Internet, every speaker's bureau had a published book, uh, the Washington Speaker's Bureau, the Lee Bureau, giant ones like that. Um, used to publish a book, quite frankly. I don't even know if they do anymore. They had a manual that was you know, six inches thick, and they'd have all the speakers. Probably they don't do that anymore. It's not <laughs> necessary, and it's expensive. Yeah. So you go to the website, and you find these people. And the Speakers Bureau really is a commodities business. So they have a, a, someone sitting at the phone, and you, someone calls them and says, I'd like Mary to speak on topic X that I see is on the website. And uh, can you tell me what she charges? They, they come to an agreement, and the Speakers Bureau at the end of the day might get anywhere between 10% and 25%. Some um, research that I've done indicates that 
the majority are between 20 and 25 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Speaker's Bureau gets that commission only if they are able to secure a speaking engagement. Otherwise, they do not get paid. They, they, it, it's strictly an incoming, uh, inbound business for the, for the most part. There are some bureaus that do a little bit of outbound, but very few. The way I have structured my business is that I do the same sort of outbound outreach to speaking uh, opportunities as I do for my retainer clients. Not quite the same amount of time. If they want the same amount of time, it, they become a hybrid client where they might want paid and unpaid uh, speaking engagements. But I reach out for to my paid speakers, uh, and most of them are 10000 and above. I have a couple that are $5,000 per, per presentation. Most of them are authors, and I'm able to uh, get them speaking engagements at associations, at uh, Company retreats, company staff meetings, customer meetings. Those are the those are the categories, and 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 the paid speakers pay me a commission, uh, a little bit higher than the norm, uh, because I'm actually doing the outreach that most speaking speakers bureaus don't do. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love. That's what I love. What you do, because I've run into a lot of solo business owners who are authors or coaches or consultants or trainers, and they love what they do, but they loathe marketing. They're like, that's right. the dirty work. I, I just, every time I sit down to write something on social media or, or pitch myself to a conference, I feel sick and I don't know what to say. And then I put it off and I don't do it. And now I'm not growing. And so in right. essence, they can hire you to do the thing they don't like to do. And then they get to go speak and they get to build their business. So that, that, I think it's such a great service you have. And I love that it's so, um, sort of wide ranging and there's a lot of different ways that you can help them. When you're working with event planners or conference organizers, what do you find they're looking for in the speakers they want to hire? Well, the the, the most important thing is the topic. So they may have in mind a specific topic that they want to address because they have a theme of a conference or or the the, the corporate meeting. So they may very specifically want a, a particular topic. Uh, so the topic becomes extremely important. And even if they don't have a specific topic in mind and they say, you know, we're kind of open to anything. It could be a motivational speaker. It could be uh, a speaker on, on uh, any number of business topics. could be innovation, um, productivity, whatever the case may be. But the key thing is to have a topic at the ready. Um, the the kiss of death is when someone says I can speak on anything. Yeah. Um, because anything is really nothing because to the <laughs> to the planner because okay well what does that mean? Um, so you need to have a, a topic and the speaker needs to have a description of that topic. So while meeting planners don't ask for the slide deck, they don't ask for the the written speech. They will ask for a description of the talk in most cases. So it, it, it doesn't need to be long. It can be one, two, three paragraphs with some bullet points, but it needs to have some sense of getting across this is what they're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And there's a falsehood among speakers that if they have a great career and a great bio, that that's enough. And and quite frankly, it's not enough. They They need to really hone in on what they're going to talk about, and what makes their topic different 
than somebody else talking on the same topic. And it may be that in that case, it may be their experience, but it may be that they're they're a little bit thinking out of the box or they're doing something a little bit different that makes them stand out and hopefully get get a talk. Now, in the case of um, paid speakers, it also becomes important to be able to be a good speaker. Now, you may say, well, why is that more important than the unpaid speaking? And the reason is it is more important. And the reason is because they're paying you, <laughs> plain and simple, yeah. right? So if you're shelling out $2,000, $5,000, $10,000, you don't want the people in the first row to be sleeping during the talk. It's really important to, to have someone that's um, going to have people attentive and, and come away with uh, saying, oh, that was a good speaker. They may be entertaining, they may not be, but at least if they speak with some level of enthusiasm, that's important. That becomes less important, not unimportant, but less important for a speaker who is on a panel at one of the many conferences that I deal with, um, or they're doing a solo presentation. So they are asked, are they good speakers? And if I tell them yes, typically they say, okay, that's good. And if they have some speaking experience, then they have that credibility. Whereas a paid speaker, 100% of the time needs to have a video. My saying that they're a good speaker is not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. They have to demonstrate that they are a good speaker by showing that they come across well through a video. What do you think constitutes a good video for marketing their, their speaking skills? It's something that really shows enthusiasm. It doesn't have, again, it doesn't have to be long, just as the, the talk summary doesn't have to be long. It can be a three-minute, well-done um, iPhone video. It doesn't need to be something professionally done. You don't have to have somebody speaking at a, making a presentation. But I would say the, the best one is three to, to five minutes of someone speaking at a conference or speaking at a company where there, it's a sort of a live action or recorded action of them actually speaking uh, in a presentation format so that someone can say, oh, yeah, well, they came across really good, the, the, the hiring manager. Uh, next best thing is someone just, you know, one-to-one -one speaking in front of the camera about what they're going to talk about, and, and that can also work. Again, it's more how do they come across, um, do they show some enthusiasm, uh, they're not monotonal, that kind of thing. When you were talking earlier about having speakers having things that make them different in their bio or in their presentation, what do you think about creating intellectual property and building like their own ideas and systems that has a different spin or its own title? Do you think that makes a big difference? So I think it, it doesn't necessarily make a big difference, but it can make a difference. Um, it also is a matter of whether or not the... Um, the, the people who are hiring the speakers actually think it is a good idea, right? So being different isn't necessarily uh, better. Um, you, you can build a better mousetrap, but the, the mouse still may walk around it, right? <laughs> so you, 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 it really depends on the circumstances. Um, but, yeah, if someone has some ideas that are fresh and new, then that, that will give them an edge. It's more... It's more not necessarily reinventing the wheel in a different way, but the, how the topic might be approached.
Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that when a speaker comes to the table and says, I can speak about anything, conference organizers don't really like that. Are there other things that turn them off when they're looking at hiring a speaker? Right. So the number one, number two, number three, four, and five, top five worst things anyone could do, and, I, and I'm, I'm being a bit facetious by saying it's the same one for all five because it's, it is so crucial and that is not to make a sales pitch. So I get hired by people, and sometimes even the, the PR firms have already been trying to get them to do something. So either the PR firm or the speaker themselves send me what they have submitted in the past, and they wonder why it hasn't been accepted by anybody. And the reason is it's been a sales pitch. All you have to do is say one sentence that says, um, Joe or Mary does so-and-so, so-and-so um, in, as one of the leading companies in the, in the world doing this, uh, and it implies that the reason why this is so bad is because it implies that it's going to be a sales pitch. So if somebody gets up there and spends the first three minutes talking about uh, their, their product or their service, and even during the talk, say, well, we did this for this company, and they, they thought it was better than anybody they've ever had. You know, anything that sounds like they're trying to sell their services is the kiss of death. It is the absolute worst thing. And sometimes people do it unconsciously. They're not, they don't feel that they're, they, they feel that they need to do it to establish credibility, but the truth is that it actually hurts them. And if you look at the reviews, if you look at the evaluations, um, any time there's a negative comment, the number one negative comment in the history of speaking is they gave me a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. The, the number two negative comment was they were boring. But, but boring is always better than a sales pitch because where you do the, the, the credibility is in the bio. So when you introduce me with my bio, that's that I don't need to to start talking about that again, because the the the, um, the hosts of the meeting will do that, uh, or there'll be a bio in the in the brochure or in the um, the the agenda that's handed out, and people don't need to to hear about that at all. If they start hearing about that, it's a big turnoff. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. What are some other mistakes you see speakers make, when, especially when they're starting out? Uh, thinking too big, ha- having uh, this uh, false notion of grandeur. <laughs> uh, and I don't say that uh, in a mean way, but, but again, I think it's unconscious. Somebody you know, might be in the field for 10 or 15 years and say, look, I've been doing this for a long time. I've developed this talk. I think it's going to be great. And they say, you know, now I'd like to be a keynote speaker. So I try to tell them in a nice way that you can't be a keynote speaker until you've had some speaking under your belt. So in most cases, it's the paid uh, speaker that says that because they want to be a paid keynoter. So what I tell them is get, get the experience as an unpaid speaker. Start speaking, get a half a dozen really good speaking engagements where even if you're on a panel, the panels will become solo presentations. You'll, you, you can start speaking at local business associations if it's a business topic. 
You can speak at local associations that are part of national chapters. There's a, there's a, you know, chambers of commerce. There's many different places where people can speak. Uh, because one of the things that you'll be asked is, um, where have you spoken? Whether you're, uh, especially if it's a paid speaking engagement, less so if it's an unpaid speaking engagement, but the higher up the, the, the chain, if it's a keynote at an unpaid speaking engagement, they typically want to know where have you speaking, spoken before. If you look at a call for presenters, oftentimes that's a question. List past speaking engagements. So to the extent that you can build up that resume, then you can start thinking about a paid uh, engagement and yet not a keynote. The keynote, it, it, it can take a couple of years before you have an opportunity to be a keynote speaker after you've gotten your resume built up with both unpaid speaking engagements and paid non-keynote speaking engagements. Do you think that once you've you've built up enough unpaid speaking gigs and you start making money as a speaker, it, it's a good PR move to continue doing free speaking gigs in addition to the paid so you can kind of get into places you might not otherwise get to speak? A absolutely. So I'll, t two reasons for that. Number one is if you have a service or product that you want to sell, um, then it becomes crucial. So I have clients who their, their entire business or 99% of their income stream, I should say, is speaking. That's how they make a living, right? That, that's how they make money. Someone says, what do you do? They say, well, I'm an author and I'm a speaker. End of the sentence, done. Others say, I'm an author, a speaker, and a consultant. And so if you do an unpaid speaking engagement, like all the consulting firms and law firms that, that work with me, then someone in the audience could, at the end of the day, say, Sarah, can I have your card? That was a great speech. I'd love to have you come into my company and give that same speech. Bingo, what just happened? Now they have a paid speaking engagement, right? And it was as a result of the unpaid speaking engagement. So, yes, if you have something else to sell, um, having the PR uh, and marketing and business development aspect, that, that becomes important. And then the second reason is, is really just to be able to, again, increase that um, list of speaking engagements and have the opportunity to tell people that you may have spoken at a prestigious conference. Um, and that's important. And the fact of the matter is that many, many conferences, I'm not talking about companies now, but the, in the conference world, associations, conference companies, business associations, almost all of them do not pay. This is a surprise to a lot of people. But the vast majority of public conferences, 99.9% um, uh, will not pay for any of their speakers, nor will they pay for their expenses. Um, where they do pay is the keynote speaker or a luncheon speaker, who pretty much has to be some known quantity. Either they've written a book that has uh, sold a decent amount of books, They've gotten good publicity, um, either through social media or through um, other um, PR means, um, but, but they have some cachet. Um, so when someone does their bio, they say, oh, that's that, or, or in advance even of the meeting, they say, oh, yeah, I'd like to come listen to those, those people. But most, um, 
even the very large conferences don't pay their speakers, including their keynote speakers. Um, and again, that's because they know that if it's uh, someone speaking that has a product or a service, this is a huge business development opportunity for them. To, and, and they may have a book. They could sell books in, in, in the exhibit area or in the back of the room. There's a, a lot of advantages from speaking for free. Uh, even if you spend your whole life only speaking for free because you will get business out of it. it. It's the whole business development aspect of why speak. That doesn't mean you have to be doing this you know, every week because if you have a consulting firm, you have to help your clients and service them. But by speaking you know, once a month, once every couple of months, you can have uh, an increase in the number of clients that you have. So it depends on the kind of business you have to to really be able to answer your question on how much should you speak for free and how much should you speak um, for uh, for pay. Makes sense. Yeah, and the story you just told about the woman who was giving a free talk and then had someone come up to her at the end and say, we'd like to hire you, is exactly how I became a professional speaker. I, I was just <clears throat> giving free gig, gigs all the time to, pres yeah. to promote my consulting firm. And then one day someone asked if they could pay me, and I said, oh... <laughs> That sounds like a great idea. And then I started to get more paid speaking gigs. But to this day, I still do free speaking gigs because it is such a great way to get the word out and build a connection and build your brand. Um, so if I was a new speaker and I walked into your office, Steve, and I said, I want to make money in this field. What should I do? What, what advice would you give that person? So the first thing is what I alluded to before, which is to for me to say, so tell, tell me in detail what, what do you want to talk about and who do you want to talk to? Who is your audience? So it, there are three things, that, or several things, but the three main things that need to be defined is I would say to them, what is your topic? Who is your target audience? And where do you want to speak? Mm. Because those are the three things that I need to know to do what is the very first thing that I would be doing, which is researching potential venues. So whether they're conferences public conferences or whether they're companies, um, then I need to have the answer to that. Someone might have a very specific topic that is very um, targeted, and, and targeting is good. Sometimes it's better than, than uh, being able to speak on a topic to, 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 to everyone because you get a reputation in a particular industry. So, for example, I had a client who ran a small uh, financial services company just uh, you know, four or five people, and they targeted the insurance industry and the banking industry. It was strictly fi fi financial, and it was really about the technologies that they used. That's a hot topic, fintech, financial technology today. And so without making a sales pitch, without doing any self-promotion, I got them to speak at various uh, associations in the banking and, and insurance industry, and um, they did wind up getting some paid gigs because, again, the paid side is almost always, uh, at least for people who are quote-unquote unknown, are, are going to be on the corporate side where someone might come in and give a 3000 or $4,000 talk um, on, on a particular topic, and they don't necessarily have to be a known quantity, but a company is willing to pay that um, and and it, it have a uh, for their staff or or 
or a custom meeting and that sort of thing. And then, of course, the, where they want to speak is important because I've had clients that only wanted to speak um, in the eastern United States. Uh, I also have had clients that want to speak anywhere in the United States, and I've had clients that wanted to speak anywhere in the world. Um, so literally, I've placed people in uh, Hong Kong, Shanghai, London, everywhere else. Uh, and then the other extreme of that is I had a client, which is one of the funny, the funniest um, conversations I ever had with somebody, although they didn't think uh, see any humor in it. Um, I, I was sort of chuckling to myself. I, it was a very large uh, Boston-based bank um, whose name I won't mention that wanted to speak only in downtown Boston. And I thought to myself, well, that's uh, a little bit too narrow. So, uh, you know, I said, how about Massachusetts? And they said, okay, that made, that, we can do that because they, they were thinking of expanding at some point. Um, and by the way, that's another, um, another good reason to, for unpaid speaking engagements is that if you are thinking of uh, expanding your repertoire or of uh, consulting or coaching, um, it's a good way to try things out. You can, you know, talk about it, uh, something and say, you know, 15 people come up to you and say, oh, this sounds great, or I'd love to have your card, and, you know, it, it generates some enthusiasm among the audience, and you say, well, this is a topic that I guess is really uh, resonating, and it gives you some good confidence that you can go out and actually do more consulting as well as speaking in that particular topic. So sometimes speaking can be a good trial balloon or, or if you want to expand geographically, um, I've had clients that started in in the in the Boston metro area, and then they decided to uh, to speak nationally, and I got them into conferences, uh, you know, where, wherever they wanted to speak. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you one of the questions that I'm asked all the time because I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Are there certain speaking topics or industries that are hot right now? So um, a lot of the um, uh, conferences out there now are related to uh, marketing and digital marketing in particular. So anything that's, uh, you know, r related to uh, the Internet and uh, <clears throat> using the Internet um, either for marketing purposes or for um, networking uh, th those kinds of, of, of events and, t and topics are good. Anything related to e-commerce uh, is hot. Uh, cybersecurity is a very hot topic. Um, the uh, whole world is looking for uh, ways to protect their data. Um, another one is uh, the whole uh, data management, what, what, what is called big data these days. Um, those are also of great interest to how to, you know, look at all the data that, that is accumulated and make sense of it and target uh, marketing and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, but there are also, you know, other um, uh, topics that might fit with a particular company's needs. It could be innovation. It could be <clears throat> change management. It could be um, how to... Um, just motivate people. I mean, there's always been a need, and there always will be, for someone to come in and be completely off-topic. So by off-topic, I mean it could be the association of uh, air conditioning uh, contractors, 
and they, uh, you know, HVAC of people, heat, heating and air conditioning, um, they, they will hire people who have, you know, nothing to do with the industry, just as a sort of a little bit of a, an entertainment value, an escape value. So if someone um, has a motivating talk um, to, to give of, you know, how to uh, um, uh, rise up from uh, uh, unfor- misfortune or, um, you know, something that's going to be captivating to the audience, th- those are always topics that people um, who hire speakers look for, regardless of their industry. Hmm. One last question. Do you find women have an advantage as speakers? Are they at a disadvantage, or do you say neither? Right. So I think over the last 10 years, um, women have been um, uh, looked for for specific speaking opportunities. I think in many cases it's uh, neutral, but in other cases it's an advantage. So um, I know there are conferences out there that specifically want to diversify. They they want to have more women and minorities speaking. Um, there was a conference recently, a huge conference on the gaming industry in um, in uh, Boston, and um, they were um, critical criticized because they, they there were very few uh, women game developers on the panels. And it's not for a lack of women being in the industry. It's just, you know, it, it, tend, it tended to be, you know, one of those sort of old boys networks. So they're trying to change that. And there are other conferences that also specifically um, would actually give uh, a woman speaker the edge over uh, a male speaker if, if, um, if they had the opportunity, if all things are equal. Um, so um, the other thing is that there are women's conferences um, that uh, are obviously looking for, for women to speak, with uplifting stories of success. Um, there, are, there are several national conferences, and there are a lot of regional and local conferences um, that are designed for, for women um, to speak to other women, and those are great because you have a, you know, your audience would have a great opportunity to speak there and start getting you know, those uh, those. Uh, uh, resumes built up on on speaking, and uh, again, it could lead to some paid speaking engagements as well. Yeah, it seems to me this is a great time for women to get into speaking, exactly for the reasons you noted, like diversifying panels, and um, also that there's so many events now for women and conferences and and associations. So, I totally right. agree. All right, let's jump into our lightning round. This is our five quick questions. The first question is, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Well, it's pretty much what I what I've been talking about to. Um, have a topic, know what you want to talk about, to whom you want to speak, and where you want to speak. And, you know, that, that, that's really what I would say. Um, that's one, I guess that's one A, B, and C. <laughs> I can sort of give three things. Um, and, and, you know, just to keep, keep at it. Perfect. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Well, I mean, I basically, I've worked hard my whole life. I've never taken anything for granted, and um, you have to uh, just keep uh, keep at it. And one of those things that I feel has helped me is uh, the ability to uh, to network. Um, you, you know, I will tell, you know, my dentist uh, that I'm looking for for clients if I needed to. <laughs> I, you, you, you really have to get the word out. Um, 
the marketplace is very competitive in in all fields. I'm you know really speaking for anybody in 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 any industry, regardless of what what they do. But networking um, is important, whether you're employed full time by a company or whether you're uh, on your own, um, making connections and being able to to let people know that you're looking for this or that um, can can help you be successful. Great, and it has for me. Yeah. Awesome. And number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Oh, I don't even remember that far back. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have any regrets on um, things that have, have uh, transpired, and I, I would say just, you know, be, be yourself. Okay. And number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? I hope it's going to be to have some rest and relaxation. <laughs> <laughs> and number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. An object. Um, uh, I would say a baseball, um, only because I love baseball, and you, you should do it. But you know, you should spend some time doing with uh, what you love. And when I'm not doing work, I'm going to baseball games and and talking about it and I have a blog and on it and um yeah that's what I would say awesome and lastly what does it mean to you to claim the stage um i would say to to be able to be uh confident and show that uh confidence when you're speaking and know that people are listening to you and being able to impart some good solid information to 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 be enthusiastic about what you're talking about, but also to, to know that um, people are walking away with information that was helpful to them. I love it. Anything you'd like to share with our audience, like any events or upcoming offers? Um, so, uh, no, I would say that if anybody um, is interested in talking to me uh, about uh, what they're doing, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to... Uh, to, to speak to them for a few minutes at, at no, no cost and give them some, some guidance if they'd like it. And uh, if uh, anyone wants to talk to me uh, about uh, uh, how to break into the business, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to do so. I have some articles that I've written that if someone gets in touch with me by phone or email, I'm happy to, um, to, get, uh, to get that as, as well. I don't recall if you gave at the beginning my... Uh, my website, but um, they can reach me through through the through that, or you can give them my my email as well. Yeah, let, why don't you tell us your website? Sure. So it's um, it's the company again is Markman Speaker Management, and I'm a solo entrepreneur, as many of you listeners are as well. And it's uh, www.markmanspeaker.com. That's M-A-R-K-M-A-N Speaker.com. And I can be reached at 781-444-7500 in Needham, Massachusetts. Great. Steve, thanks so much. This has been super inf informational. And just I think it's a great thing for people to know about that you offer this service and also just the advice you had to offer on how to break into it, what to do, and what not to do. <laughs> so thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Angela. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and I enjoyed talking to you. Well, there you have it, everybody. My interview with Steve Markman. Isn't he great? 
Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating it and leaving a review if you're listening on iTunes. It's super duper simple and it only takes a minute. And the great news is your review helps more people to find the show. And if you're not already on my mailing list, it's time, my friend. Go on over to AngelaLucier.us to sign up and you will get special offers. You'll get to see some of my photography, public speaking tips. I often write weird stuff in there. Um, You never know what's going to show up, really. I want to thank my sponsors again, McNally Communications over at McNallyCommunications.com and Name Net Worth, the networking consulting company at NameNetWorth.com. Well, that's it for me, folks. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.